I love that you can move them easily. They make my workspaces much more flexible. I like how quiet they are. I can sit inside and feel all calm, but still feel part of what's going on around me. I like what they cost. They're talking about Nook, the award-winning wellness-certified family of pods, booths, and shelters which make a workplace more flexible and more inclusive. Go to nookpod.com to find out more. Welcome back to the Work Bowl podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions, space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, fund manager, developer, property manager, agent or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and this is episode seven of season six, sponsored by TSK. Let me tell you, I'm so thrilled to be recording this introduction in Manchester, England, on site in the Bold community we're opening in March. I'm pumped by the entrepreneurs and innovative companies we'll be supporting here, and i got to give a big shout-out and thank you to Samantha McClary, editor at EG, for publishing the interview we did covering the Bold story and why I'm bullish on entrepreneurs. Look for the link in the show notes. In this episode, I had a great chat with Tom Duncan, head of research and investment strategy for Cromwell Property Group, to dive into their recent research paper called Office 2025, The Next Evolutionary Cycle. We discuss how office demand is changing, thus creating a gap between supply and demand and an abundance of misaligned stock, and what this means for commercial real estate investors. Tom shares how this moment in the market can seem scary, but the office evolution is nothing new and we're now entering the age of space as a service. Obviously, I love that part. As always, if you have any questions or feedback on topics you want covered, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. Now for the episode. Speaking of our headline sponsor, TSK, I got to give them a shout out for a video I just watched on the brand new 71,000 square foot hybrid workplace they've created for insurance, risk, and commercial law firm, BLM. Pre-pandemic, BLM Law were already planning on becoming a paper-light organization, but the pandemic sped up their digital strategy. This helped them accelerate processes, become more sustainable, and allow their team to connect and communicate from anywhere. Imagine that. They wanted to adopt a more flexible approach to work and their workplace. Enter TSK. When you're bringing several sites together, multiple sites together, there's always a risk that, you know, some may feel inclusive, some may feel excluded. But I think what we created was somewhere that they all felt that they could come together and it really did stand out as a BLM home for them. And I think it was really important that we gave them the right settings and the right tools to enable them to encourage that kind of transition that they were going through. The biggest impact for me and the team, I think, is the whole range of different spaces there are to work, different places to work depending on what it is we're trying to do at the time. I think that's really strong, really powerful and something we simply haven't had before. I highly recommend you watch this video. It shows how TSK helped BLM move away from their traditional style offices and create a more agile and collaborative environment for their 600 plus Manchester, England based team. The video is on the TSK website and we've put a link to it in the show notes below. Now, Jeff, let's kick it. Welcome back to the Warbull Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and today I'm joined by Tom Duncan, head of research and investment strategy for Cromwell Property Group. In his role, Tom is responsible for setting the research strategy for Cromwell's international platform. His team analyzes market, economic, and thematic change to provide research and advice to the business, its clients, and investors on investment opportunities and risks. His advice supports the investment decision-making process, informs new fund launches, and the allocation of capital expenditure within existing mandates. 
Tom joined Cromwell in 2021, not long ago, from Swiss Life Asset Managers, Europe's largest institutional owner of real estate, where he spent four years and was laterally director of strategy and innovation with research responsibility across Europe. Prior to that, he spent two years at JLL in the UK as an associate director in the corporate research team. Previously, he spent five years working in Australia at Hill PDA, an economic consultancy, and Colliers International as head of New South Wales and ACT research. Tom holds master's degrees in property development from the UTS Sydney and town and country planning from the University of Sheffield. Welcome to the Workbull podcast, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here, Caleb. Oh, it's great to have you here. It's really good to connect and reconnect in the new year. We had a great coffee chat last year, and I was impressed with your MC skills when you moderated the SPR real estate panel at 22 Bishopsgate. It was with James Goldsmith with Accent Bill Page from Legally General, right? That's the one. Yeah. You, you sort of set your career track. Now you're on a podcast. Moving up in the world. Moving up. No, well, you know, look, thanks for joining us. I want to dive into this article you wrote. I just finished reading. It was in Cromwell's Insight magazine titled Offices 2025, The Next Evolutionary Cycle. Are you okay to dive into that with me? With pleasure, Caleb. Excellent. Well, before we do, could you give us a brief overview of Cromwell and your portfolio? Sure. So Cromwell Property Group is an international investment manager. We hold about 8 billion of assets under management at the moment, split roughly 50-50 between Europe and Asia Pacific. We are big investors in office. We currently allocated about two-thirds of our AUM at the moment towards offices. It's slightly lower in Europe. It's about 50%, but that includes 150 office properties over 12 different countries. So this is an area and a topic that's of great interest to us. So is it fair to say that you're pro-office then? I'm pro-office or we are pro-office, but I think for good reason, because it's certainly not a universal playing field. And uh, as we'll talk about, I'm sure we think it's quite an interesting and an exciting time to be an office investor, provided that you're clear on what type of stock will be resilient in the future. We're definitely going to dive into that. And just to be clear, I'm sitting in my home office, but Tom is sitting in his office in central London right now. So Tom, in the article that I read, you say the office plus model will emerge post-pandemic, which I love because this season is called plus not versus. And we'll come on to that, what that means in a bit. But what I want you to do is give us some background on this research that led to your outcomes. Because when I was reading this, most of the time when I read research papers from the real estate community, it tends to be from a traditional mindset, but you've come across, dare I say, woke in this. So I'm curious to hear how this all came to be. I think uh, the central contention that we have undertaking this piece of work was we felt that the office sector was subject to a lot of public debate and uh, some of it was, we'd say, misinformed really. If you look between the lines and look through the market noise, I think there is a sort of clear narrative about the way office demand is changing and therefore what that means for real estate. So we felt that we could contribute to the discussion with some evidence and some data and then distill from that some real estate implications really to try and bring a bit of clarity to the perhaps uh, negative market sentiment overall for the office sector. Our central contention in the paper is that office demand is evolving rather than disappearing. If you look at offices today, it can be quite scary really what's going on given the rapid pace of change that we've seen as a result of the pandemic. And if you are an office investor, that can seem quite scary. But actually, if you zoom out a bit and look at offices over the entire period of being several hundred years, you can see that offices have reinvented themselves a number of times over that period. And each one of those reinventions has been quite transformative. And we think that this iteration that it's going through at the moment, it is quite a drastic change. 
And it's clear that office demand and office requirements have fundamentally shifted as a result of the pandemic, but it's not an existential threat, but it will lead to a lot of polarization and yep. change in the market. I saw the three takeaways and you talk about how office demand is not disappearing, it's evolving. And I'm curious to hear a little bit more details on how you see it evolving. Well, in the paper, we break it down into sort of a number of different areas and a number of different criteria, really, for how we formed our view. The first of these is that repeated surveys show that offices are desired, both by occupiers and by staff as well. In the initial stages of the pandemic and you know the impact of working from home, I think perhaps there was a, an overcorrection in terms of perceptions of the office. And as time has gone on, I think whilst home working can be done effectively, and whilst it's clear the pandemic has demonstrated that work isn't tied to an office and can be done from anywhere, it is clear that certain types of tasks and certain types of activities are suited to the home office or the work office, if, if I can put it like that. And I think over time that has become clearer to see from survey evidence and from output as well. I'm citing here evidence from a number of different universities, for example, Harvard Business Review and from the University of Chicago that really points to the fact that as you know, it's going to be, I think, the hybrid model that endures. And that's the one that can guarantee the best benefits, really, in terms of output and also flexibility. I'm yeah. just going to be cheeky here for a second and say that you're coming from the supply side of real estate and you were saying that not all work needs to be done in the office? Yes, 100%. I mean, it's fundamentally clear that workplace habits have changed and rightly so, because, you know, there's a better way. And it's not people don't need to be chained to their desks and nor should they be. But in order to sort of attract employees, I think offices must work harder and they must give them a better proposition. Part of this is our own bespoke research that we've undertaken, you know, global survey of workers. And really that's found that um, most people really love the flexibility of home working. There's definitely some aspects that they miss about the office, particularly around the collaboration and the social elements. And I think, you know, in a range of different surveys that is sort of backed up. So I believe where we're going to get to and what I think a number of different survey indicators suggest is that hybrid model with perhaps, you know, three or four days in the office and, you know, one to three days at home. And that'll be on a flexible basis per employee because there's certainly going to be no one size fits all model. I think uh, another interesting observation I'd like to make is that, you know, in our own work, and this is clear from sort of other survey evidence as well. It really is younger people who show the strongest preference to be in the office more often. And thus, I really think office space should and will pivot towards what those younger age cohort needs and wants from the office, because, you know, there are the future after all. So the office demand and, and offices, that's why we talk about office demand being reshaped. And it's going through quite a traumatic period at the moment, I would say, and, and there's certainly more to come. But I think firmly believe that in the future, it is that hybrid model which will endure and that will create benefits for some owners and disbenefits for others, I suppose. Well, I think uh, if anybody's been listening to this podcast or following me on LinkedIn, I think they'd say that I certainly agree with you on that. It's great to highlight and shine a light on those of us in the real estate supply side or the supply side of the real estate industry who are leaning into this. Great to hear this. So if demand is evolving, that has the potential to create a gap between supply and demand. And your second takeaway refers to future-proofing assets. So I had two questions for you. One, can you provide some context on what that means? And two, where does space as a service fit into that? Well, I think First of all, office demand is certainly evolving because offices need to provide a better offer to their employees and to their occupiers as well. 
fundamentally, I think what's happening in the office sector is the whole model of the sector has shifted. In a number of years ago, five, 10 years ago, occupiers were tenants and they paid rent through a rent collection agent to a landlord who just stood there and collected the rent on a regular basis. And that was really the extent of the relationship. All the power rested with the landlord and the risk was on the tenant. If they couldn't pay the bills or if the office wasn't fit for purpose, they were pretty much stuck on a long lease. Now, I think that power dynamic has shifted completely. Landlords need to view themselves as service providers to their customers who are their occupiers and also the workers within that building. And I think that fundamentally that shift is a complete evolution really in the model. And that leads to and should lead to a physical evolution in the type of space that's provided. Now, I think the new paradigm that we're in with work and the ability to work from anywhere and power resting with occupiers and with employees as well. That means that offices must work harder and provide a better offer really to employees for them to come in. You know, surveys show, including our own surveys, that one of the greatest challenges really with attracting people back into the office is to commute. And so if people are being asked to commute and if being in the office is something that they desire, that means they're going to have to accept a commute. Well, the office really needs to raise its game and provide something to make them come in really and, and to encourage them to come in because ultimately it's a choice. You can use a carrot or a stick, but it's definitely going to be, I think, the carrot which succeeds. It's not about the stick and because power, as I said, rests with employees nowadays in a greater way than it ever has done. So if we're thinking about how can an office attract employees, I think it needs certain physical characteristics to make sure that it's a great place to work, natural light, air quality, all of these things, which you've discussed many times with your guests before. But I think there's also soft overlays which can be made by occupiers to make that space more appealing to talent as well and to workers. For example, in our own work, we can see that it's really the soft perks of the office. Things like free lunch or free food, added benefits, exercise classes and that type of thing. And they are appealing to occupiers as well and to attracting staff in. Yeah, it's really some hard fundamentals, I think, which offices are going to need to really create that experience, which I think is going to be key in the future. Tom, you said earlier, it's one size doesn't fit all. And I appreciate that. And I think as you say that there's certain hard elements and there's certain soft elements to this. I like to use the hardware software analogy in my conversations and the hardware is all about the data and the access control, the layouts and, and all this stuff. And the software is, is all of the amenities, but also the ecosystem and the culture and the community that is curated within a vertical community. And I think I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up like free lunch is good and not to challenge you on this, but free lunch is, is certainly good if, if I get to you know enjoy my food for free when I'm there. But I think without a good culture, Free lunch isn't going to cut it for a lot of people because I think this whole pandemic has took the covers off of these bad cultures that a lot of companies have. And I'm not trying to be negative here, but I think what it has done is it shined a light on the really good cultures that other companies have. And we've seen this whole great resignation. I was talking to somebody earlier today and he said he doesn't call it the great resignation. He calls it the great reengagement, or I like to call it the great realignment. And I think we in commercial real estate have to stand up and be champions of this really good company culture and lead by example. And then that way, when we are providing those free lunches and all the amenities and all that software that I was talking about earlier, then that's going to make people feel taken care of and feel like they belong. I'd be remiss if I didn't say that I had to add that to the conversation. I hope you don't mind. No, no, I, think I completely agree. And if I was to challenge you know, myself. I think what survey work like this is really is the fact that, you know, those hard parameters, you know, great office with natural light, with space, with appropriate areas for different activities, 
I think that's a given, really. You know, that's something which employees expect that is mandatory, really. And I'd almost add space as a service to that as well. And that's why when we do surveys, we can see that these added benefits, which people value, but that's because there's certain mandatory factors which the office needs to provide, which I assume that they're assuming are a given, really. And that includes natural light. It includes space. It includes functioning technology so they can actually do the job that they need to do in the office. And once those are in place, those are essential for any building to be resilient. And then it's those added benefits, I think, which we're picking up on here. In some ways, that survey evidence misses that the default position, really, which is this is essential. Yeah. And these are the added benefits, which could tip the balance one way or the other. Thank you for that, Tom. And that sort of brings me to your third takeaway in this article, your report. I'm going to quote you a little bit on this. You say, investors in real estate should, quote, act with conviction to dispose of misaligned stock and acquire product, which is or can be aligned to future occupier demand, which will capture outperformance. First of all, I find it interesting you use the phrase act with conviction. Do real estate investors usually not act with conviction? They certainly do. But real estate, I think, is guilty of a sort of herd mentality with a lot of investors chasing the same type of stock. Normally, that's completely justified because of the underlying fundamentals. And I think the pandemic really because it's viscerally demonstrated the structural changes which are happening in real estate. It's made a lot of investors think in the same way about certain sectors and certain opportunities, which does lead to many investors following the same pattern. I think in this environment, offices are almost a counter-cyclical play, given that there is weak market sentiment around for offices, I would say, in the main. And that's what I mean by acting with conviction, because in some ways you might be going against the grain, or it may be an uncomfortable position, given there is so much debate and a lot of it negative about the future of the offices. To make a bold move into the office sector at the moment and buy a new office product, particularly one that it is not fit for purpose, based on the understanding that you can really believe in the future of the office. You really believe what a future-proofed office looks like, and you can create that type of offer in that office building. And I think that does require courage, and it requires conviction in what you're doing, because I think you will be challenged on it by investors and by underlying clients as well. I certainly have to give you three points for dropping in the bold moves in that, but I think it makes sense. And if I sort of replay that back to you, it sounds like to me, you're saying that it's about realigning your own company values and what you believe in based on these last couple of years and where the future is going, and then going out there and specifically targeting assets that match with what you believe is going to be the future of work in either buying assets that already have that or buying assets that can be repurposed. Is that right? That's exactly right, Caleb. You phrased it far more eloquently than I'd managed there. I'm just a big believer in value, so I'm glad that you came out with that. Just, just a quick question. I've seen a lot of conversation around repurposing lately. And what's your view on buying and demoing and building from the ground up versus buying and repurposing? Yeah, certainly that is certainly a hot topic at the moment. I think there's a number of challenges coming for offices, as we've talked about. Much of the existing stock, I think, will need to be repositioned to make sure that it aligns with what occupiers of today want and occupiers of tomorrow as well, more importantly. Uh, I think so that requires capex into making sure that you have enough collaboration space, you have enough breakout space and so on. But also the ESG angle with many office buildings 
needing to be upgraded to meet ESG standards. That creates a challenge, I think. So it, it's more difficult to do that in an existing building. And so it is easier to build a brand new office building and make sure that it's perfectly aligned to what occupiers need and want around the ESG and around the actual offer and the specialization of that product. Having said that, I think uh, given the environmental factors, it's going to be increasingly difficult to create new buildings from scratch. You know, it's much more environmentally friendly, much less embodied carbon is released if you can repurpose an existing building. So I think if you're looking at it in aggregate, our approach would be to try and repurpose an existing building because of the carbon savings you're getting from that, even though it is more challenging really to deliver a top of the range product in a building that does need more work than say a knockdown and rebuild. Yeah, it makes total sense. And I appreciate your insights on that. In your third takeaway, you mentioned about capturing outperformance. And you also just mentioned ESG. So I want to talk about that. PlayStack recently reported on ESG offices being priced at a 25% premium. Do you think we'll see similar stats on assets that have space as a service in them in the near future? I do believe that space as a service is something which an office needs to be uh, functional really in the future. So space as a service is going to be fundamental to any successful office building. Now, what a space as a service means may vary depending on the type of offer of that individual office. But certainly, I think the future for successful office space is about employee empowerment. It's about productivity and it's about enhancement of the culture of the company and really providing the needs of workers. And that requires space as a service in which it's on-demand space, it's customer-focused, and it's really attuned to what occupiers and their staff want. Because quite simply, if it doesn't provide that, then it's not going to attract occupiers, it's not going to be functional, and it's not going to perform. What does that mean for the market? We think that it means that there's going to be a few winning office assets, but there's going to be many more perhaps losing office assets, either because they can't be built up to scratch or because they haven't got the appropriate space as a service overlay to that offer. So we think that the average office returns are going to be increasingly meaningless, really, because it's going to come down to the individual asset, its physical characteristics, and the way in which it's going to be managed. So it's not enough nowadays if you're an investor to allocate to a growing city or even to a micro location. You need to really grill down to the individual asset, how that performs, how it could be made to perform in terms of the service that it provides to occupiers, and also how it fits into the local ecosystem. Because you mentioned uh, vertical communities earlier. It's also, I think, a horizontal community in the local area because office assets don't exist in a bubble. And really the desire and then the resilience and the success of an office building is intrinsically tied to its local micro location or local ecosystem, I think, more than it ever has done before. Yeah, I love that topic there because I think in ESG, a lot of times in our industry, we focus on the E, which is massively important, but we can't overlook the S and that's that social impact that we in commercial real estate can affect so positively or negatively. I have this thing where, you know, with Bold, for instance, when we go into a community and we look at the specific ecosystem that we're creating within that community and the types of customers, the personalities of those people and those companies and what kind of jobs they're going to be creating and what kind of impact they're going to be making on the world. And I just think we in commercial real estate have the opportunity to make such a positive impact on all the communities we go into. I mean, I completely agree. And also the G partnerships are going to be increasingly important for real estate across all different types of real estate, but also particularly offices. So for an accessible office building, it's about partnership with the local area, partnership with other landowners and other landlords in the area, partnerships with your occupiers, 
partnerships with local government. So I think that governance piece, how that office building is managed uh, and how it includes inputs into that management from customers, but also how it contributes to the micro location, how that's managed and how different voices are heard in management of that area through an appropriate governance overlay. It really is the full range of ESG, I think, which is going to be important for successful office buildings in the future. Yeah, ex- excellent point. And you mentioned partnerships. I have to ask, how does Cromwell look at rolling out spaces of service across the portfolio? Are you looking to partner with existing operators? Or are you guys working on your own, like you know some of the other landlords have done? What's the plan? The plan is really uh, under development at the moment. And at the moment, it's a sort of tailored approach, depending on different offices and different locations, and also the market need in that location. We also, as I mentioned, we're present in 12 different countries. And I think we we really need to consider the culture in those individual countries and tailor the product accordingly. So it's difficult to have a kind of one size fits all model. And at the moment, yeah, we're exploring different options. And I think it's definitely a moving feast in terms of how we approach it. But that space as a service overlay and providing the best offer that we can to our occupiers to make sure that they like us and that they want to stay that's going to be critical. So it's only an area in which we're looking to partner with more often, both by drawing on our internal expertise and also partnering with experts in the market as well, like yourself. Well, I'll look forward to continuing those offline conversations. Thank you so much for sharing all these insights with us today, Tom. I want to move into the quick fire round. You're a listener of the podcast. You know how this works. Quick questions, quick answers. But I've changed the questions up slightly. My first question for you is, Who is your go-to for the latest workplace insight? This could be a a person, a website, a podcast, anything. Well, other than the new Caleb and your great podcast and also, you know, established thought leaders like uh, Anthony and Draw, I like to try and look for other sources outside of real estate, really, for inspiration. My default really is my go-to for any knowledge about any subject, including real estate and including the future of the workplace, is really The Economist. They do great content every week. I devour the the magazine and also podcasts as well, where they really explore topics in a very easily digestible way. So I have to say The Economist is probably my go-to for that. Excellent. Thank you for that. All right. This is a brand new question here, and it's a bit out there, so bear with me. But if you could wave a magic wand to change anything in commercial real estate right now, what would that be? If I could wave a magic wand and change anything about real estate, I think that the direction of travel, as we've talked about, is valuing environmental factors far more highly. I'd like to accelerate to make sure that environmental factors are really up there as important or perhaps more important than returns. Given the climate crisis that we're in, it's something I feel passionately about. And I think the industry is going to get there, but uh, not all actors are on the same page. And also not all actors in the real estate industry are moving fast enough, I think, on the climate issue. So I'd like to wave a magic wand, fast forward to where the industry will get to in 10 or 20 years on that issue, and then uh, make sure that it happens from now on. That is a great answer. And I think the sentiment with demand is probably there with you. Just takes a few leaders to get it going. Well said, Tom. Thank you for that. A slightly lighter question now. Where's your favorite holiday destination? My favorite holiday destination? Oh, I mean, I've got a fair few, but I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say Brisbane in Australia, because that is where my wife is from. You know, that's where we've been wanting to get to for some time now, because unfortunately, COVID delayed our travel plans. But yeah, great weather out there, great food, lovely people. So Brisbane in Australia is my favorite go-to holiday destination. Excellent. I'm sure our audience in Australia is clapping right now. So cheers to that. This isn't part of the quick fire round, but I am curious because we've just agreed a partnership 
with MIPM. I'll be at MIPM on March 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th this year in Cannes, France. And we're going to be doing a mini series for the Workbook Podcast. Are you going to MIPM, Tom? I certainly am going to MIPM, yes. Excellent. I look forward to seeing you there. And if anyone listening, please let me know if you're going. I'd love to see you in March in person and um, looking forward to that fun conference, finally getting back in person. So it's really exciting times. Tom, do you have anything else you want to add before we conclude this session? I think uh, we've covered all, all the main points, Caleb. So yeah, thank you very much for that conversation. Well, really appreciate you diving into the research with us. Where can our audience find you on social media? Do you prefer Twitter, LinkedIn? Yes, I think Twitter and LinkedIn are the best ways to catch me and they can catch me through you, Caleb. But yeah, also Cromwell Property Group. And if you look at that page, you can see our, our insights work, which you've referenced. And it'd be great to share that with the audience and to get views on that as well. Absolutely. Well, Tom's at Duncan underscore insight on Twitter. We'll put links to his Twitter and LinkedIn, but also we'll put a link down in the show notes to the research paper and Cromwell's website. Thanks again. And everyone listening today, Really appreciate you tuning in. Until next time, take care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. Making high-quality podcasts like this takes a lot of work. That's a fact but not when you hire Copus. With our white glove experience, we handle everything for you from guest outreach all the way through publishing and promotion. We handle it all. You show up to hold great interviews like these and build relationships with your guests. We take care of everything else. Podcasting is not just about the audience. Every podcast interview is the start of a brand new relationship. With a weekly podcast, you would build relationships with 52 ideal partners or prospects through podcast interviews over the next 12 months. Do you believe 52 new relationships could grow your business? We do. Why not contact me today? Jason at copus.com. J-A-S-O-N at K-O-P-U-S dot com. And let's talk.